We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet So once again, those of you who showed up to class yesterday but I was not there, I apologize. I had a wild, wild day yesterday. and But those details we can share some other time. Maybe I'll share them if I can integrate them as lessons in, in our, uh, our thing this thing that we call the class. All right, so uh, we are in our final week of Ramadan. And, and so continuing a little bit about the Ummah, we're looking at this ayah again, and then we will move forward just to show it to you one more time so you can feel refreshed. Once again, let me know you can see it. Very good. So this is after, continue. So this is after Ayatul Nur, and then we are speaking here about light. Light in the heart, light in the house, light in the masjid. So one of our discussions the other day, way back, uh, now it seems like forever ago, was about what is this light of Allah that we're speaking about and we did not come to a consensus because there is not, as far as I know. Uh, but when we speak about light in this context, however, what does the light seem to be saying? So the light of Allah, where Allah is aware of everything and the houses in which Allah has ordered to be raised for the remembrance in the, of his name and his glorification and and this is basically in so basically morning and night so what is this light thoughts this is probably easier to surmise than than the previous one are you sharing your screen or i just stopped sharing just now you want to share it? i can share it again if you like i just thought you all Enjoy looking at each other's faces. What was the question? I'm sorry. Uh -huh. Yes. No, no, so the question is, um, uh, when we spoke in the previous ayah, what do we mean when we speak of the light or of Allah or the Allah's light, so forth and so on? That's a little bit harder to conclude. But when we're speaking about that light in the houses that Allah has ordered to be joined. So light is not mentioned here, but in the houses of Allah. Asim, what is this light? Is it just like the deen? Yeah. So it can't be the deen. I think the deen is on target. You're going to say something else? I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to say that like the, so like the idea that, that the light in your house is it's like the idea of barakah, right? Like the that that there's barakah in your house if you if people in the house are following the. So, what is the teaching of the Prophet peace be upon him of the analogy of a house in which prayer does not take place? It is like what? Anyone know? A graveyard. It is like a graveyard, and so for our consideration making it even more specific than Dean, it is or could be the sheer remembrance of Allah. 
And so that's what Dean, that's what religion is supposed to be. That's what religion is supposed to facilitate, which it also may not do. Right? The Quran itself says it can guide many. It can, it lets many go astray or many go astray by it. Or Allah lets many go astray by it and Allah guides many by it. Speaking of the Quran. And so, so the light can be, if it is uh, the practice of deen, I'm saying within the deen, especially, it would be the remembrance of Allah. Uh, but then the question becomes, if we speak of the remembrance of Allah, what does that mean in relation to Allah? Okay. question is more complicated than the actual point. What happens if you are in a conversation like the one we are having right now, in which we are remembering Allah? What happens? Angels surrounds that meeting. Okay, so angels surround. What else happens? So angels come to observe, to learn. Awesome. I mean, in theory, we bring ourselves closer to Allah, right? But I'm referring to specific teaching. So yes, that, yes, exactly, as Ulfat is saying, he mentions us in a greater gathering. So if we're speaking of the light of Allah in our hearts, in our homes, in the masjid, as us giving remembrance to Allah, elevating his name in names, then a consequence of that is the presence of angels in these spaces, whatever that means, I mean, in terms of how our space applies to angels. And then further, the remembrance of us by Allah. And so, so if that becomes the light, okay, the light it could be the activeness of Allah. See what I'm saying? And thus the presence, the so essentially what I'm saying is that the distance between the presence of Allah, no, the remembrance of Allah and the presence of Allah may not be a very large distance. And by large distance, I don't mean in yards or meters or anything like that. I'm saying in terms of the nature of reality. Dania. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum as our sister in al-Islam. Um, okay, so when we're talking about light or like just in general, like reading this ayah, is this a continuation of the previous, it's the same light that's described in the previous ayah or is light applied differently here? So I think we can read it both ways, but it is very commonly common that those two ayahs are read together. Yes. But as is the case with every ayah, you can also read them in, uh, independently. Let's look at it independently and see what we can gather. So skip the ayah that comes before. So in the houses in which Allah has ordered to be raised for remembrance of his name therein and glorification in it in the mornings and evenings. There it seems as though we have a purpose for these sanctuaries. 
commonly the masjid. And so in Al-Baqarah, you know, in a couple of eyes after the ayah we looked at it in the middle of the surah, we have, um, you know, it basically says, who is worse than the people who block access to Allah? So that his names, you know, for, for people who just want to, you know, elevate his name inside the masjid, right? And so that would be consistent with thinking of the primary purpose of the masjid of Allah being the elevation remembrance of his name. And the reason I'm using the word sanctuary is I'm using the home and I'm using the heart. All three as linked and with the same purpose. And if we add this to the ayah that comes before it, then we speak of the light of Allah, or Allah is the light. If we add the ayah, can you all see it on the screen, that comes after it, then who is doing the remembrance? Men, so Rajal, the general principle of Rajal, it's gender inclusive. So people okay, for whom no trade or sale makes them neglectful of the remembrance of Allah, nor does it make them neglectful from Salah and Zakah. They have, uh, is it taqwa or khawf? So they have fear of a day in which the hearts and eyes will be overturned. And so that would be the sign of the person, if we put all three of these eyes together, the sign of the person who has this light, inshallah, in their heart. That they're in the world, right? That they're in trade, they're in sale, they're working, but their worldly pursuits do not prevent them from remembering Allah. Their worldly pursuits do not prevent them from salah, from zakah, right? And they have this consciousness of the day of judgment. So this is also something that goes together. So, Daniel, what do you think of it all? It's interesting because I feel like you can get something from the ayahs reading them alone, but then the meaning um, deepens when you put them all together. Because even reading that third ayah with the second, just those two together, it's kind of like don't neglect going to the masajid with your worldly affairs or as you're you know, carrying on, which is an interesting um you don't necessarily get that with just reading the third one on its own. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I would agree. I mean, on that note, uh, uh, one of my friends, his teacher from back home overseas came to visit him and they're traveling around his home and around America. And that teacher from overseas says that if you have a Muslim who's making all their five prayers in America, that person is at the level of the awliya of Allah because he was looking at how hard it is to make your prayers in America, right? Like Austin made the point the other day about, you know, just the, the requirements of capitalism or just the simple fact that we all have to work. How hard is it to do that? If someone is consistently doing that, they're at the level of saints. So, so uh, in our society and perhaps in our era, but definitely in our society, it is very easy to be overcome by the obligations of work and thus, uh, me missing prayers and such. Okay. And your thoughts, reflections on this ayah. Now let's go to the next ayah. Speaking of the proximity of Allah. So the backstory here is that the companions asked the prophet, peace be upon him, where is Allah? And this was 
a response. And when my servants ask you about me, then I am near. So one way to read this is, what is the answer to the question, where is Allah? He is near. Another way to read this, going deeper, is the fact that you're asking of Allah, that you have him in your consciousness, means that Allah is near. And then, ujibu, I respond, I answer, da'wah, I answer the call of the da'i, okay. so I answer the call of the caller when he calls me. Then, so let them respond. There's that same grammatical form. Let them, let this happen. Uh, let them respond to me. Let them seek to respond to me. And let them believe in me. And then perhaps they will be guided. This ayah is especially interesting because if I do the context, it comes right after the ayahs of fasting. I-183, fast, and you make it taqwa. I-184, fast a certain number of days. I-185, fast in the month of Ramadan. And then this ayah. Okay. So now we're shifting, we're moving a little bit closer to the individual, but also the community itself, correspondence. <clears throat> or interaction. Think of your social interactions with Muslims, okay, not necessarily limited to Muslims. What percentage of those are interactions in which there is some sort of mention of God? So you're socially hanging out. I don't mean like, here's what I think about God. No, I mean, I'm basically saying, yes, yeah, like my gang symbols, M for Muzaffar or M for Muslim. Yeah, anyway. Side okay, so anyway, anyway, so so the point here is that should I do West Side too? The um, uh, looking at your social relationships, what percentage of those, and this is not for you to answer for us, but for you to explore for yourself, involve remembrance of God? Maybe all of them, like if you're in my case where you have no friends, then it's literally 100%. But the point is, some of you who actually have friends. You know, or things that resemble friends like acquaintances, where you're just like, I'll support anything you do. Um, how many of those have some sort of remembrance of Allah? Saying things like inshallah, I would say would be ap- at least a bare minimum. Inshallah, mashallah, alhamdulillah. But I'm also suggesting something more substantial than that. And, and so the point here, if we link this to what we said to you just before this, is again, that if I am referencing Allah, if I am thinking of Allah, then Allah is referencing me. But then on top of that, it is this nearness of Allah. Easy to talk about in the final week of Ramadan, but think about this in life post-Ramadan in terms of your social circles. Again, don't take my approach where it's just like, I hang out with nobody. I'm just at work all day long. Okay, so first point to consider. Second point to consider. 
When Allah says he is near, where? Do we leave it as he is near? Yeah, that is a valid reading. But what other locations do we have in the Quran in speaking of Allah's proximity to us? Allah is blank. Closer to you than your jugular vein. Closer, closer to you than your jugular vein. So jugular vein, I don't know if the side of that side. Med students, is it over here? Over here. Both sides? Wait, is a dentist going to know? Anyway, so, okay. So, one way to read that is, yeah, you know you love it. One way to read this is that that is how close Allah is to us, or without it being said, that where is Allah's presence greatest? In your heart. Because what is closer to you even than your jugular, it is your heart. Okay. Simple question. Dentist disrespect is when Omar Bai is true. Inner Daisy comes out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Omar Bai's inner Daisy comes out many different ways. So if I ask you to point to yourself, if everybody immediately point to yourself, those of you who are off camera, I don't know what to do for you, but okay, point to yourself. So Dania asks him, Ulfat, where do you point if you're pointing to yourself? You're overthinking it. And Sarah, what were you pointing to? Your nose? Face, okay, Dania, oh, right here, like the top of your like rib cage, okay. Coram, where are you pointing to yourself? Same place that Dania is, okay. Zishan, pointing to your left cheek, okay. Yeah, I'm guessing Zishan's Khandan, when they're punishing him, they used to pull him by his cheek before they smacked him with chuckles. Okay, so, this is a very fascinating cultural point where people point to themselves. Uh, Sara, why did you point to whatever it is you were pointing to? Probably because it's the what's in the camera view, probably. But I think, yeah, usually I point to like my upper. Your upper. Maybe my, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe were you pointing to your face? I was indeed pointed to my face. Okay. Yeah, so I usually, I think I stay in this general region. Yeah. 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 Dania, why are we pointing here instead of your face? Um, I don't know, actually. But when I say, like, it's me or it's mine or something, I say, I do this. Okay. All right. So. Yeah. Zishan Berta, you're still holding that same cheek. Why do you point to this cheek? Is it like... I think you hit it on the, you hit it on. Yeah, this, this, this is <laughs> the, the easiest cheek, the closest, lowest effort to show you. Yeah, have you ever talked about myself? <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, I had a Chinese classmate. We had an exercise like this and she pointed to that space below your navel. Chi? Right. Uh, which was also very, very fascinating. Everybody else in the class pointed like right here. Kind of where Danny is pointing to. And so, so the point I'm making is if that is you, then that is in theory where Allah is or can be. And so commonly I'm speaking of the heart, but like we have a teaching not as authenticated where Allah Ta'ala is reported to have said that the universe cannot contain me, but the human heart can contain me. 
which is a really cool line, but a way to think about it is that we do not look at Allah according to magnitude as much as we look at Allah according to nearness. And the nearness is something we have control over in the one life that we're given. Next, going back to this ayah, uh, Ulfat. Okay, I don't remember the source, but isn't, but are we also taught that Allah is always there, but there are veils between us and Allah? Oh, absolutely. So he's near, so he's near, he's there. He is near, but we might be pushing him away in the form of those veils. And so part of the growth of spiritual reform Tazkiyah, purification, is the process of seeking to remove those veils. And so, so think of it, if we were to speak about it in a spiritual level, that Allah is present, but these veils are the equivalent of me trying to push Allah away. And so each additional veil I have is another version of me trying to push away Allah. Because my natural tendency, because of my fitrah, is to be seeking Allah. Does that make sense? Shala. Um, so going back to the ayah, um, this is a nice reminder, you know, like when we speak about Allah, he's near. Um, I think you had mentioned that there was like this, um, like the word, right? That Allah's word is... Um, present or something what was it that you said about the word of allah that there was in the past you said I, know, I probably like made that. it up so i don't even remember anymore i can't remember anyway but what do you think about like i think in judaism like they don't mention the name of mm. god how does that fit in like does that mean that he's not near because they're not mentioning his name so the fascinating thing is in terms of the way i understand it is that all right the name of allah the name allah is so sacred that it is the best thing a person can say. But built into that is that we are innately good and innately sacred. And so saying the name of Allah is in a way fulfilling our natural design. In Judaism, the name of Allah, the name, the tetragrammaton, you know, which is often pronounced as something like Yahweh, is so sacred that it can only be said and the most sacred moment by the most sacred people in the most sacred location, okay. which in old school Judaism is in the temple on, I forgot which specific day, okay. uh, by the specific rabbis, okay. that those are the only days. Otherwise, uh, it is too holy for, all the, uh, uh, for a common person to speak uh, because of the sin and such that we have within us. And, and so, two fascinating different readings. We're saying that saying the name of Allah is purifying. Yeah. As opposed <laughs> to that lens. Like, I mean, even like the, the Star of David, uh, you know, aside from the Israeli flag, what is the philosophy of the Star of David? The Star of David is you have an arrow pointing to the world and you have an arrow pointing to the sky. And so the complete life is the merger of the two, right? That that of the world becomes so pure that is that is ready for that which is coming from the sky. So then you have the old school uh, uh, people who argue that uh, the state of Israel can only be handed to the Jewish people if they are pure enough. Right. Sorry, you were saying something else, Shalom, when I interrupted. 
Um, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I feel like in the West and in my profession, it's just a lot of times hard to mention the name of God when, you know, when I feel like I want to, you know, like if it's a very like sensitive moment and, you know, a patient is hurting or something, I'm not a chaplain, you know, I'm a physician. And so like, I don't know, like sometimes I feel like I'm crossing the professional boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like professional boundaries. And, um, you know, being a chaplain, certainly, you know, like that's part of what you do. And so you can feel free to do that. But I don't know, I find it challenging. Like, so, you know, a lot of times if I'm going to do a procedure, like in my mind, you know, I'm like, you know, bismillah, like I make that intention in my mind and it never is verbalized, um, you know, so um, I don't know, perhaps Allah could be nearer if I were, you know, making it known. Well, I, I think don't underestimate the value of saying it to yourself and the value of the intention for saying it, that if this was an environment more amenable to me saying it out loud, then I would have been saying it out loud. Right. I mean, Allah knows all that. Uh, other healthcare professionals, what are your thoughts about all this? Or even people who are not, I mean, say I used to be in corporate life and you'd be not surprised at all that I had no problem talking about God and politics and everything, all the things you're not supposed to talk about at work. I would say like, if a patient brings it up too, like, you know, then, you know, I think that opens the door, right? Mm -hmm. um, certainly. The patient's like, oh God. And you're like, oh, let's have a conversation, you know, while you're doing surgery. Ahant. Um, well, my experience on this, and uh, I think, you know, Shahla is talking about another realm, but in terms of like putting out, you know, you know, treatment plans or, and whatnot, I think rather than phrasing what you want to say in the context of religion, maybe just uh, phrasing it like, oh, this is good for you. Okay. You know, that, that I think is, is much more palatable to a lot of patients. Like as soon as you bring up religion, some people's mind just kind of you know, shuts off or just, you know, uh, anything like in that realm. But I feel like for a lot of like uh, physicians that, that I've seen, um, I feel like um, they don't want to do that. But, you know, if we, if we truly believe that, you know, this is the truth, maybe just, you know, put it to them in a different platter, which for the secular patient, maybe more, you know, like, uh, like, like digestible. Can you give me an example? Like how to do that? Like, should I just say seven, eight, six? So, so for example, I was at the uh, Islamic bioethics conference uh, for the Al-Qasim and they, they had, they had the case uh, study where, um, you know, um, you know, implantation of embryos, for example, uh, for uh, for women who are like trying to conceive, um, uh, they you know um, so they you know the uh, long story short uh, from a thick standpoint uh, that's not allowed in terms of uh, the majority uh, opinion. But rather than saying to the uh, the patient that oh you know the you know I don't believe in this uh, all that. Um, and they were saying uh, see, at the conference that um, 
how do we, you know, you know, how do we define a like, you know, like a disease state? So is not being able to have uh, children is that, you know, inherently a disease state? And you know, they had uh, as mentioned uh, some hadith and uh, some verses of the Quran where, you know, some people have children, so, some people don't, but if you view not having children as a disease state, then you, you know you will you know go towards routes that may not be impermissible just to have a kid. So routes that may be impermissible. Yes, yeah, maybe like impermissible. So so like so for example, like rather than telling that patient, hey, uh, you shouldn't uh, do this because what you're doing is inherently not right. Rather, you would counsel the patient and say, you know, make them like digest the fact that not having children is not inherently a disease state or it's not inherently, you know, bad. Okay, I see. So I guess right. tackling the root of the problem. And this goes for, you know, many treatments and, yeah. you know, so I would love like, to hear Shala's you know, opinion on this and what she's kind of faced. And not, not to make light of that, but, you know, for those people who consider baldness a disease state. You know, <laughs> as opposed to a sign of use of level beauty. Anyway, okay, Shala. Um, yeah, I would agree with that, like for sure. Like I think that all of these, you know, illnesses that we come upon are just part of our test and, you know, testing our compassion for one another and just the, you know, the fact that this is not a perfect world and um, yeah, learning to accept that, right? Like it's hard to teach our patients to accept that when, you know, they're on the other side, but certainly we can model it for them. Um, but also I wanted to say like, you know, as far as like religion, I'm not really talking about like speaking directly about religion. Certainly if they ask me if it's a Muslim patient, yeah, like Sara said, like, you know, we'll all connect with them about or like their fasting, how's it going, something like that. But also like even non-Muslims too, like I kind of know, like if they're mentioning God, like I know that they believe in God and, you know, I might be more comfortable sharing with them um, as well. Like, you know, kind of speaking that language, right? So saying like God willing rather than hopefully, right? So mm -hmm. will this treatment work? You know, most of the time I'm saying, hopefully this will be, you know, a good treatment plan. Um, but I would be more comfortable sharing with that person who is also a believer in God. That, and I would might say God willing in their mm -hmm. presence. I do think uh, we will probably see sometime in the next generation, inshallah, will probably become part of the vernacular, you know. Uh, but that's just nothing but a, but a guess. Uh, Dania. Um, so I'm just a med student, but um, I've had several, of, like the patients ask me to pray for them or to pray with them when I go into their room. And maybe because I'm like visibly Muslim, awesome. like they know. Yeah. So, but, and I do because, you know, they ask me and, and if I think that's like respectful to do. Um, but I've also had preceptors who in the OR right before we start the procedure do a little prayer. Um, and that's their thing. I was also going to say on the point of um, inshallah, my mom is a math professor. And the first day of class, like when she goes over the syllabus, she says, I use inshallah in my um that's just part of what I say. It means God willing. This is how I intend to use it in class. And she just goes on with her life. But she always does that. Um, as is, it, is this like a, is this like a, an American uh, like Islamic college or? No, it's just that um, 
like a university in Chicago. So cool. okay, very nice. Zishan. So I think you know where we are indexing on on a professional where probably it comes to you naturally to talk about that. If I expand the scope, it becomes uh, dependent on the type of the servant. I will give an example: private equity and talking about merging companies and going into where people will lose their jobs for some benefit. Though there will be some benefit down the down the road, I think it is. Um, probably more internal conversation that you will have. You can always find uh, things that, yes, that this is, you know, God willing, this will work out and this is the strategy and plan that we're making. I think there is levels as, as we think about each service, each each type of job, each type of service. There's like, if you take the military, if you take the police force, there are areas where it's easier to apply this logic, but I do think there's different forms you can apply it to. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I would say fair enough. The uh, uh, one level is to have the consciousness of a law in your thinking. Another level is to be speaking it, right? Which would be different than speaking it having no consciousness of a law. Um, and then another aspect, the what, what Ahant was alluding to is uh, how do you actually do the work of the profession with an Islamic ethos, you know, which in the context of a physician, means how do you approach the whole practice of, of medicine and, and the language to, to be used and such. And I'm imagining Dania, after she makes the prayer, she's like, oh, you guys are still here. You know, <laughs> when they're saying, please pray for me. Anyway, so, so uh, yeah, there are also many, many different factors here. And your thoughts, reflections on all these? So getting to the last, oh, Malahat. We use the same thing in the corporate culture in America. Like, um, like you know, mentioning the God is uh, is pretty car- common, actually. I don't know, because I worked in Abbott for a very long time. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe, maybe people know each other. Or there's a lot of Muslims work in Abbott area. Maybe that's the one reason. But I think uh, my experience from the multiple companies in a corporate America, from U.S. Army all the way to the financial, to the healthcare, um, expressions has been given um, like God willing or one door close, second door open, these kind of things for the job. Is, Wait, has, one door open, the next door close, explain. Like some, some of the people use the analogy that, you know, okay, if you can, uh, I heard from the one of the, the panel we are, it's called reduction of IT force, where we let go people. And um, so some of the, the panel HR personnel use this, um, you know, analogy that, you know, hey, it's uh, in the Islam is like, if one door open, there is a seven doors, you know, one door closed, seven doors open, something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of analogies, uh, religious analogies has been used. Um, I witnessed to that. And, you know, we, we pretty openly talk to each other uh, as a colleagues uh, about religion. I have uh, Jews, Christians, Orthodox folks in, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, working together. Uh, I don't know, it's maybe because we're working together for a very long time together, or I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there is a certain amount of lingo that is common. So hmm. perhaps in God willing is not a big deal. Right. right. Uh, as opposed to, <laughs> then, then it might be a little bit different. Tawseef. You know, I've been thinking about, um, so the ayah says, 
that Allah answers the prayer of the one who asks. Yeah. And it seems unrestrictive. Yeah, that we'll get to in a moment, but why don't you make a okay. point anyway? Unless, no, that was essentially it because there's also the, the idea of, um, in our tradition, what are those obstacles to the dua, the ijabah to the dua? Okay, yeah, that we'll get to. We're still just talking about the consciousness of Allah, inshallah. So I'm going to put you on hold for a second. Shayla. Um, I just wanted to see what other people's ideas were, like, for instance, um, about mentioning fasting, like, you know, so Ramadan or praying or, you know, some of the practices that we do, like mostly fasting, I guess I'm thinking about more recently. Um, like, do you like I kind of felt like in the past, like sharing that, you know, the fact that I'm fasting, like might diminish some of the reward. Um mm. But I also don't want to seem like, oh, I'm ashamed of the fact that I'm Muslim and I'm fasting. Um, like, yeah, I just want to see what, what do other people think about that? And like, you know, you don't want to seem like you're flaunting it. And, but at the same time, you don't want to be um, showy or yeah. So or you don't want to be. Um, so I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be as concerned about the questions that we have. Like, if I do this, will this diminish the reward? Uh, that I think is more often shape out speaking. Uh, because sharing that you're fasting may increase the reward. See what I'm saying? And of course, that comes back to like, what is your intention? If your intention is, you know, here's something I do, you might find of interest, or maybe it'll plant some seed of dawah. Uh, from that perspective, I think it's fine. If it's stop eating because I'm fasting, then, you know, you know, maybe not do that. Uh, let's see, Farah and then Zishan. Um, it's an interesting conversation that's going on. I, um, in one way, I would also say that I actually do not blame people who are, um, in, for the lack of a better word, allergic to religion or religious terminology, partly because I think the way that we also present religion, or in this case, Islam, is also not necessarily speaking in the way that people understand and talk and want to make sense of life today. For example, yeah, yeah, so for example, like, I, I mean, you know, I apologize if this is going to be uncomfortable for some, but when we do say things like, I believe in angels, or I believe in resurrection, or I'm fasting because there's a God, I think a lot of the time uh, in today's current day and age, including me having like a younger sister who's in her early teens, like, People want to ask, like, what does this actually mean? Like, what are you, you know, are you making, wanting me to believe in something that I don't understand? Like, uh, um, it makes it sound like a lot of voodoo language, and it doesn't actually make sense when, as we express it or have learned to express it. And so, um, I don't work in these professions uh, where, because I am in a school and I'm in the div school. So yes, you can talk about God very in different ways. But you can, oh, yeah, you, see. you can because everybody's got their own God, and then it doesn't really matter. Um, and so um, I, I do think that if you do use words like, you know, I'm fasting because there, I'm going to get blessings. What does that actually mean? Right, uh, in a way that someone who has no paradigm of growing up in these religions is going to believe in this with some sort of certainty. I would venture on to say that, except for a few here, most of us grew up in cultures or traditions where we uh, acquire religion. But do we actually understand what we're saying? 
half the things, more than half the things that we do. And so when other people do not understand this, and if I can't explain what I mean by angels, I can't explain how is it that I believe in this thing called the word of God and how is that, does that make sense? Other than just saying, it's my faith, just got to do it because God said so. Uh, it does not convince me personally, and it does not convince, I should not expect anyone else to be convinced. And I would feel a little bit of an hesitation bringing up these concepts to others who have no idea of this, because I frankly uh, have a better explanation of why I buy a certain brand of organic eggs uh, than I do of what angels are. Mm -hmm. Nice. Zishan, Asim, and somebody else had their hand raised, I've forgotten. So as someone dealing with this, right, in, in a, in, in a um, recommendation probably for companies to talk about, today's 2022 era is a lot about like diversity inclusion metrics have been included as like corporate things that you must do for talent. Like the whole, like, you know, all religions inclusivity has increased much more. Like BCG, Boston Consulting Group, in the five years I've been here, um, they've now this year has been like, you know, a lot of like uh, people have come up asking about it because like their corporate leadership has talked about like, let's create awareness. Here are the metrics that we want to align to. And that does include top down saying being open to discussion. So there are like forums where you can come up and talk about Ramadan. There's how to be an ally for Ramadan. I, we are hosting a hosted iftars and now we're doing like I'm hosting like a Eid event for next week with panelists. So I do think in the compared to like maybe five years ago or 10 years ago, there is a decent push towards that across organizations, regardless if it's life, health, life sciences, healthcare, or so forth. These are tangible metrics alongside the climate change stuff, which is coming on board. So I would expect if, if the leadership of the organizations that you're working have any sense of and if you're looking at these metrics, it, it should sort of filter in and make it a little more uh, accepting for people to talk about these, not, you know, there's obviously Farah talked about, there's a packaging of this, like what is believable, but I think that is, should be a trend across organizations, at least in the North America region. Mm -hmm. We're going to see more and more changes happening. Asim. Um, I think also a, a point that we maybe haven't brought up is that um, conversations about, at least in the United States, conversations about non-christian religion have sort of been uh implicitly removed from like polite society right so the idea of there like there was a big controversy around ilhan omar taking her oath of office on a quran that and like the reason that's controversial is because we like <clears throat> the default in our society is like, what, what do they call it? Like Judeo-Christian teachings. And therefore anything that challenges that is uh, considered improper or impolite. And so that makes a move towards, um, towards like normal conversation about God and stuff like that. It, it makes it a lot harder, right? Like, it's almost like conversations about God are not safe conversations to be having in a lot of spaces. I mean, yeah, there's still the general notion that religion and politics should not be spoken about at work. So, Shaila. So um, it's not uncommon over the years that I've been in practice that a patient, you know, once in a while will say like, 
Uh, before they start talking, they'll say, so do you believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, before he before they go ahead and say whatever they want to say? And I'm like, you know, I'm all, always taken aback by that. Like, I don't really have like a planned, you know, response for like that kind of question. You know, one, I could say, um, why do you ask? I could say, why do you ask? Or I could say, no, not exactly. But what I end up saying is I believe in God. And then I, I say, you know, then they continue with what they're going to say. But basically, they're saying, like, this is what guides me in my faith. And I believe that I'm going to be healed because of such and such. That's what they really want to say. But they like, I don't know if they don't want to offend me. And, you know, they're prefacing it that way, or they want to see like, okay, how much can I share with you or what? But I don't know how other people would respond to that. Um, but I just say, I believe in God. And then, and then it kind of like, it's like a short answer, and then they can get to what they want to say. Mm. I believe in Jesus Christ and our Lord and Savior. Just throw in the letter and, throw the word and, see if they notice. Olfat. Um, I think adding to the discussion of whether we're mentioning God or not in gatherings is how we're mentioning God. And it's not that there's no um, religion, religious abuse um, and not being used to hurt people. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally, totally. I think that is part of the reason why there's caution against uh, religion discourse. And Natalia is making the point, uh, her experiences have been the opposite. Sometimes someone you reasonably will think is Muslim, name is Ahmad, and, and such girls' names might be tricky. You may not say salam in a meeting, even in a one-on-one -on -one situation. You know. Malahat. I think the, the question we should ask to ourselves is that, you know, why we are afraid to speak about the God and religion in our workplaces hmm. i'm guessing most people aren't as afraid of I, I, I would yeah i think it's conscious right or it's reluctant it's uh yeah, the reluctance is is basically is this the appropriate format right and and yeah how will it be received not in the sense of consequences but you know what am i gonna have to deal with Again, I had no qualms back in my corporate life about talking about all the most inappropriate things. Yeah, here, let's have a whole conversation about the Taliban, you know, and so, and so the point being that some of us uh, feel more comfortable in doing weird things. Uh, but yeah, Sarah. I was just going to add that I, I feel like um, kind of the way that I've tried to live, um, especially in instances where I'm working with people who are obviously not Muslim, um, is I found that the more open and um, transparent I am about my faith, that I have to pray, that I'm fasting, et cetera, et cetera, all those taboo topics. Um, and, and kind of like Ulfat was saying about how you don't say it in such a way where you're, I don't know, attacking someone else's faith or, you know, being on the offensive. You're just kind of, these are the things that are me. These are the things that I am. Um, automatically like builds a connection even from the most atheist of atheist people to the most religious of religious because they find a common ground in just someone being open and transparent um so i, I understand when you know sometimes people feel uncomfortable by my <coughs> by my faith and by like my belief in something that maybe they don't they can't understand whether it's like angels or the prophets or blessings and miracles um, but I think everybody can kind of get behind um, um, earnestness and like yeah, being genuine of a, of a greater meaning. Basically. Greater meaning so yeah. that's kind of how like 
it's always been the easiest in my, it, like the easiest course of action, alhamdulillah, in the sense that like, I'm just going to be me and like do me. And if it makes somebody else comfortable, they're more than welcome. They mm-hmm. feel comfortable bringing it up mm-hmm. to me if mm-hmm. I make them feel comfortable, if that makes sense. Uh, I do think that the moment we're in, in our society right now, uh, there is a whole lot of searching going on. Uh, uh, either because of a general feeling of emptiness that a whole lot of people have right now. And a lot of that is being filled by unhealthy things, but there is a sense of searching. And I think in contrast to if we had this conversation 10 years ago, if we had this conversation 20 years ago, uh, it would not be as problematic on the side to get into conversations about meaning in life and all those things. Because I think a whole lot of people are starving for something. I think there is a very deep level of despondency in our society, some of which which is just the nature of our society, but some of it is that we're never actually going to go through a formal healing from COVID and from quarantine, and we've never done that from 9-11, and what to think of all the different traumas in, in the whole history of the United States going all the way back to the founding and before the founding. Like, we don't do that as a society, and thus that creates... Uh, a lot of need for healing that a lot of people don't realize how much they're seeking this this need or seeking to fulfill this 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 need but they just fill it with other things whether we're talking about binge watching shows or narcotics or whatever the case may be okay uh tomorrow inshallah continue class we will get into the second half of this ayah and tosif we'll get into to, to your reflections and such as well uh about the this part that I respond to the call of the caller when he calls. And then if time permits, we'll go to the last part of the ayah uh, as well. Any last questions, thoughts, reflections? All righty. We will stop right here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk. May Allah tell the word you all, inshallah, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, it's fine.